some of you say that, but I say that. Eh, whatever. So today, I went downstairs. I took my tie off, took my jacket off. But I went to move the pool steps down, and it rained last night. So when the water splashed in my face and went all over in front of my shirt, I had to laugh. I was like, all right, you know, you've been warned. I just didn't tell her that a little while later, <clears throat> I leaned into silicone uh, and with my suit pants on. Um, uh, Brother Mike, what does that do to your clothes? Yeah, they're gone. <laughs> so she's been telling me, uh, Jim, you need to get some new suits. So I guess I could wear that one to work all the time now, right? You know, but... Uh, Oh, my word, yes. So anyway, open your Bible, if you would, to the book of Mark, chapter 5. Mark, chapter 5. Here, as you read through the accounts in chapter 5, we have uh, the, the account of the maniac of Gadara, and then a little further on, um, we come on to the story of uh, Jarius, the leader of the synagogue, uh, rulers of the synagogue, in verse 22. And it says here, verse 22, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jarius by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, speaking of Jesus, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray they come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. And what I started thinking about as I looked at that was, what is accomplished by a touch of Jesus? What's accomplished by a touch of Jesus? And then I started looking through the book of Mark, and honestly, it can be an exhaustive uh, uh, series of different things, but I just wrote down a few that I wanted to share with you tonight, and and we'll take a look at that. Uh, Let's bow for prayer, and then we'll turn over to Mark chapter 1. My Father, I do ask that you would continue to guide and direct. Uh, Lord, um, I'm thankful I had a different idea of where messages would be and what we were going to do, and then uh, you gave me this, and I knew clearly when it's not, uh, it's not my work, it's not my looking about. No, it's the Spirit of God uh, just opening the Word of God. Uh, Lord, I do pray that in some small measure it might be some thought-provoking items or one or two little things that might be a help. Uh, would you meet with us, guide and direct, tonight, we'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you look at Mark chapter 1 uh, and verses 16 through 20, Mark chapter 1, 16 through 20. Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, thence he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the ship and were hired, and, uh, with the hired servants and went after him. And the first thing that I want you to notice here was when, when the touch of Jesus is on you, uh, it may be that you have a life that heads down a new path. Pretty clearly, things are going to change. Uh, it may not be, here we see that these men had an occupational change. Uh, yesterday, uh, John and I were walking, uh, we, we got together to go out and, and we went down to um, uh, Seaside Park. And as we were walking down, at one point there were two men walking towards me with uh, fishing poles. So I said to them, I, as I walked up, I said, you're fishers of fish right now, but how about if you were fishers of men? 
Uh, sound familiar, you know? Um, but it may be when you have that touch of Jesus, uh, you have a life that heads down a new path. It may not be an occupational change. It may not be a location change, but there really should be a focus change. Uh, much about life changes when we have that touch of Jesus on us. Uh, now, think about that. You get saved and, and you say, wow, life has a different purpose. Life has a different meaning. Life has more clarity. Uh, life has more understanding. Uh, what changes is where we look for answers, uh, where we look for guidance. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Old, behold, all things are become new. That's one of the things that happens when we get the touch of Jesus, and we see that here. Uh, look over with me, if you would, at Mark chapter 1, and look at verse um, uh, 21. I mean, let me read some here. And, there went on, uh, and they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked, and Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about. What's accomplished by a touch of Jesus? Oftentimes it's a life that heads down a new path. And some of us, I mean, many of us, you can take yourself back to that place where God started doing a work and you understood the gospel and, and there was clarity to that and you got saved and things did move on. But here, the second thing we see is a life that now battles on a spiritual plane. Uh, before, how did we do? We went along and we, we wallowed in our sin at times, maybe not even recognizing that it was sin. Um, I'm not sure about that because the Spirit of God really he does deal with mankind and, uh, and, and he convicts, the Holy Spirit tells us that he convicts or convinces the world of sin. But here we see a life that now battles on a spiritual plane, Ephesians 6.12 for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The horizontal conflicts, once we become a Christian, really should be the ones that tone down. We should be, as Christians, we should be the easiest people to get along with. We should be the easiest ones, not, not causing strife and not causing division and not causing all sorts of problems. You see, because my battle's not with you on this plane, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But oftentimes we forget and we behave like we wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, years ago, um, um, when I got saved, I went off to take some courses at uh, a Bible college up in Danbury. And one of the things that I was absolutely shocked at um, uh, was the, the depth of burden that a pastor carries. I said, Lord, I didn't go there long, but I said, Lord, if I've learned anything, I learned a, a small measure at that time of what Pastor Brown bears up under. Uh, and the same thing for Pastor Peslak, the same thing for Pastor Lejeune. Those are the kind of things, and sometimes we don't recognize. I, I said something to him the other day about a problem. He said, you know, Jim, he goes, there's, there's some people that I have, there's really no issues. It's a very smooth thing. We might have difficulties just in life. We have things where you might have rubbed somebody the wrong way. He goes, but there's some who just seem like it's, it's a constant 
area of trouble and they're constantly coming to me and something that's going on and something is a problem and I thought, you know, we really just need, what we need to do is forget that uh, uh, there's those little battles that we see on this level. No, it's something else going on and uh, we taught something recently upstairs that talked about whenever we're in a spot that there is spiritual battle going on, you'll recognize a spiritual battle because a spiritual battle is typically trying to to separate you from a God-ordained relationship, husband and wife. If there's a problem going on there, that's a spiritual battle. Why? Because the devil is trying to uh, split up a God-ordained relationship. Uh, an employer and employee, a church and its members, a pastor and his people. All of those different relationships, when you're having a difficulty in there, uh, it's typically a spiritual battle that's going on. Horizontal conflicts and contentions uh, should dry, draw off and a new spirit should quickly begin to develop noticeable. What, look, at when I got saved, the day after I got saved, I went to work and I told the guy who I was working with uh, what happened. And, and he said, well, what happened? And I told him, well, I got saved. He said, what's that? I said, I don't know. But it happened. Um, but there was something. What is it? It was that new spirit that you want to you want to get that out. You want other people to see. You want other people to hear it. But our our battle zones are no longer on this plane, and we need to recognize that. Uh, we need to be a people who are of a calm spirit, uh, and that new spirit begins to develop. And what happens? It spreads the fame of not us. It spreads the fame of Jesus. Look what he did. Look how he's changing me. Look at the work that he's doing in me. Uh, and, and sometimes it, that's not something we say. It's just something that people start to see. Uh, how about that? You know, oh, no, I don't really want to go over there. Oh, holier than thou now. No, no, I'm just not comfortable anymore. That's all it is. But a new spirit. What's accomplished by a touch of Jesus? Oftentimes it's a life that heads down a new path. It's a life that now battles on a spiritual plane. Uh, look with me at Mark chapter 1, verses uh, 29 and uh, 29 and 30. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's mother's wife lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell her or tell him of her. The third thing I want you to see here is that when we have that touch of Jesus, that a life quickly brings the needs of others to him. That's what that word there means. It was quick. As soon as he got there, they told him about it. We have an avenue now when, when Christ is working through us, we've got that relationship going, that we can bring people's problems to him. How many times has that happened? You know, those, those people that you witness to and, and talk to at work, and, and maybe they're antagonists, maybe they're not, maybe they just don't have their eyes open yet. Remember where we were at one point before that, but now we can, they're the ones that when there's a difficulty, hey, will you, would you pray for my wife? Would you pray for my son? Would you pray for this person? Would you pray for that person? It happens. It doesn't happen often, but it, or all the time, but it does happen. Why? Because we recognize he is the answer and he has the answer. We need to be quick when, when we're hearing those things. And I'm, I'm trying to form that habit more and more. Uh, as, as I hear something, just stop and pray for it right then. Stop and pray right on the spot because oftentimes we, you know what happens in the business. I'll have people talk to me here and I'll say to them, listen, do me a favor. Call me when I'm not in church because I'm going to forget what you told me in two minutes. And mostly it's about work or, or something like that. Uh, but that's why it's important. Oftentimes when we hear something, 
Pray right then. I was sitting today uh, going through the scriptures and I started hearing some ambulances near the house. And my first thought was, Lord, there's a lot of ambulance sounds, a lot of fire truck sounds. What's going on? Let me just stop and pray right now. Don't know who it was, have no idea what was taking place, but just a good habit to form. What's the, what is accomplished by a touch of Jesus? We become, or we should become, a life that quickly brings the needs of others to him. That's what they did. Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever and anon, quickly, immediately, they told him of her. Mark 131, look at this one. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her and she ministered unto them. Here's one that says, a life, this is the uh, third or fourth, I don't remember, you count, a life that became marked by ministering to others. What did she do? He lifted her up, and immediately the fever left, and she ministered unto them. Isn't that what it should be about? Here it is, we trust Christ as our Savior, and he starts doing a work in us. Why don't we allow that servant attitude to be formed in us? That I'm here to be a minister I'm here to be a servant. I'm here to do something for another. Romans 12.10, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Uh, how about James chapter 2, 15 and 16? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. We want, that's what we need to do. Listen, I tell the AD ministry, don't be taken advantage of. You be careful about how you use your money. You be careful about that. But when you see a legitimate need and you see somebody who's struggling, you have an opportunity to do something, let's do it. Let's, let's take those opportunities to become a life that ministers to others, uh, a life that becomes a servant to others. It's not, it's, it's honestly, it's not a bad place to be. It's a wonderful uh, reputation to carry. Look at Mark chapter 1 and verse uh, 40 through 45. Mark 1, 40 through 45. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away. And saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto thee. But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in the desert place, that they, and they came to him from every quarter. What is it that's accomplished by a touch from Jesus? It's a life that heads down a new path. It's a life that now battles on a spiritual plane. It's the life that quickly takes needs of others to Jesus. It's a life that becomes marked by ministering to others. And it's a life that becomes a verbal testimony to those who will listen and those who won't. When you get saved, there's something that changes in us. And, and we know that, that new creature, that new thing that we are, and you can't contain that, and you want to get that out. And here Jesus says to him, say thou nothing. But he went out and began, verse 45, to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. Christ isn't telling us today to be quiet about him. Uh, no, just the opposite. But a life that becomes a verbal testimony. Um, I said to, uh, I think, uh, Pastor Mike yesterday in the soul winning meeting, he said, or oh, excuse me, Pastor Dave uh, was running the soul winning meeting yesterday. 
different type of message he told us. And he started asking for, tell me a testimony of, of uh, this type of a soul winning experience or someone you met or some other area. Tell us an area where you failed in soul winning. And I said, oh, I've got one for you. And um, uh, I said, there was a man that I was working with, Don, and uh, he was asking me all day long, do I think Adam and Eve are in heaven? Do I think this? Do I think that? All these different questions. Uh, um, and we're driving in the truck all day, and I'm doing the best I can as a new Christian to, to tell him. And at 3.30, we're back at the shop, and he, um, uh, he said something, and I finally turned it to him, and I said, listen, what about you? What about you? What if you died today? Are you going to go to heaven? Well, that got him bugged, so he tried to push past me. So I grabbed him by the collar and I held him there. That's not the way we're supposed to do it. He was so upset that we were down on Harrell Avenue in Bridgeport. If you know where that is in the hollow, you don't leave your door unlocked. He walked out of the shop, left the door unlocked, and it was unlocked till the morning. I was like, okay. But honestly, the Lord said to me, he didn't reject you because I felt bad. He didn't reject you. He rejected me. And we remained friends for a long time after that. But he told me one day, he said, all you born and great Christians, you're the same, always telling that same story. Praise the Lord. But what should happen? What is it that should happen? What is accomplished by a touch from Jesus? We see here, it's a life that becomes a verbal testimony to those who will listen and those who won't. Uh, John and I were talking about different soul winning experiences yesterday night. And I said, John, all we do is we start talking to somebody and you see where the conversation goes. How far are they going to allow you to speak? Where are they going to let you take it to? You never know. I told him a, an account of standing on Trumbull Avenue and waiting at a bus stop with a lady and giving her the gospel and she prays to receive Christ, turning away from her after that 10 or 15 minute time frame, walking up to the post office, which was 50 feet behind us, talking to a man on the front porch, telling him the exact same story and he turns to me and says, I have no interest in that. I don't want to trust Christ. But what should happen when we have that touch of Christ is it's a life that becomes a verbal testimony. Turn over to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. It says here, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, and they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, Stand forth. And he saith unto him, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days, or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. What is it that we find, and what is accomplished by a touch from Jesus? It's a life that heads down a new path. It's a life that now battles on a spiritual plane. It's a life that quickly brings the needs of others to Christ. It's a life that becomes marked by ministering to others. It's a life that should become a verbal testimony to those who will listen, to those who won't. And oftentimes what it is, lastly here, it's a life that's restored and useful. You just think about you know, some of us now, we have children that we were able to raise in a Christian home. But for many of us, it was not that way. Uh, my older brother was the first person who got saved in our family. Um, I got saved as a 25-year-old. Um, we think, oh, what's this baggage and how's it going to impact? And we don't even know. So much changes, but a life that's restored and useful. You're breathing, there's usefulness there's always use for this. 
I'm, uh, I've got a friend of mine who's struggling mightily right now, trying to do right, trying to turn the corner on some things, discouraged and stuff. And the encouragement has to be there's a life that can be restored. There's always hope. There's always a future. There's always something going on. You know when it ends? When you're not breathing anymore. There's always that opportunity, a life restored and a life useful. You could, you could keep on going. That's the end here, Brother Mike, just so you're aware. Uh, but the, the, you could keep on going through the, the gospel here and, and reading these accounts and, and putting a practical application to them. But you say to me, well, Brother Jim, many of those things, and, and you may, many of those things were active and happening for me at one point, but that's so far in my past. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be what used to take place. It doesn't have to be what used to go on. It doesn't have to be, but, oh yeah, I remember those days when I couldn't wait to tell somebody. I, it, it's all possible. Then it's time for a fresh touch. And the problem for us is, he didn't move, we moved. We're typically the ones who went away. Why do I say that? Because he's promised to never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's time for us to turn back to his direction. Sometimes my prayer is I'll, I'll be reading the scripture and, I'll, and, and, and I know there's always profit there. But sometimes I say, Lord, if, I'm, if I can't behave properly, and I'm, I'm careful about how I live, but you know, we're, I think each one of us, we're probably our own biggest critics, and, and we should be. We should be our, own, our biggest judge, and we should be examining ourselves uh, regularly to see what's going on and where we are. But it's time that we turn back his direction. Sometimes I say, Lord, if I'm not walking in the path that I should be, can you at least help me to turn my eyes your direction? Can you help me to look your way, whether in the scriptures or just, just to, to think, you know that old one, that WWJD, what would Jesus do? My word, that is such a practical, practical thing that I use often. Uh, Joanne, sometimes she's, remember she used to tell me, uh, uh, what would Mr. Stevenson do when I had a business item? Well, for us, it's what would Jesus do? How would he handle this? Do I have a scriptural principle that I can go by? But it's time for you and I to turn back his direction. How do we do that? Make the written word of God precious. This is the written word of God. We have the word of God and we have the written word of God. When when the written word of God becomes precious to us, that's what we're doing. We're turning back his direction again. Uh, return to the spot. Maybe for some, you know, there was that spot when the Spirit of God said, hey, here's how I want you to handle something. And five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, you sort of turned away from that. You know what? The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Go back to that spot, pick up what it was that he said to do, and just start moving forward. That's what happens. That's the kind of life that we want. We want a life and we want to see what is accomplished by a touch from Jesus. A life that heads down a new path. A life that battles on a spiritual plane. A life that quickly brings uh, the needs of others to Christ. A life that becomes marked by ministering to others. A life that becomes a verbal testimony. A life restored and useful. Let's turn that direction again. Let's pray. 